everyone and welcome to episode 32 of the Football Attic Podcast. Uh, I'm Chris Oakley and the voice you are about to hear is Rich Johnson. Hello Rich. Hello. How are you sir? I'm very good, thank you very much. And yourself? I am also very good. Excellent. And we hope you, the listeners, are very good. Um, it's our uh, first podcast for a while. Um, if you're wondering whether this is a Football Attic Kit podcast, no it's not. Um, we're just kind of resting that little project for a while because we're just sort of trying to take stock of how things are going with that and, and how much you are appreciating it and how much we're enjoying it and stuff like that the way you do. So we're just going to kind of just give that a bit of a rest just for a while. And meantime, uh, we're going to be doing the occasional uh, nostalgia podcast, just like the old days. And uh, so to that end, this is number 32. And we have hit upon a new format, which is... Um, you may have heard us discussing this on a previous podcast. We wanted to do more nostalgia podcasts, but we weren't sure kind of how to do it. And so what we, we're going to do from time to time is we're going to pick a season. And within that, we're going to look at various sort of subtopics of uh, things that happened during the season, um, events, people, blah, 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 blah. And we're going to kind of compare notes as we're going along and generally be nostalgic because that's kind of what it's all about really and uh, we're going to be asking for your input we've already done that with this podcast and uh, thank you in advance we're going to be reading out some of your comments a bit later on because uh, you've already been telling us about your memories and uh, comments and stuff about the 1987-88 season um, uh, Rich so how old would you have been going into the start of the 87-88 season? I would have been, uh, going into the start of the season, I would have been 12. 12. 12. Uh, and on, the suppose... cusp, on the cusp of teenagehood. Indeed. I was, I think, uh, let me think. 72. Nearly... <laughs> hey. uh, um, how old were I? I'm just, I can't even think so. I think I'd have been oh, God. 14 going on 15. The memory goes when you're this old, you see. <laughs> Um, yeah, I would have been nearly 15, uh, when the, when the season started. So, um, I, I actually, I, it occurred to me just the other day leading up to this recording that actually this season that we're dealing with, it was, it, it started within about a week of me doing my, starting my first job after leaving school as I was, um, one of the youngest in my year. So I actually started work when I was 15. It sounds like child labor, doesn't it really? But, um, all the other kids were sort of 16 when they, you know, got their first jobs. But, uh, I had my first job. I think I started it at the end of August 87. So pretty much right slap bang when this season was about to start. So there we go. But did you work down a pit or something? Uh, yeah, that's right. I had a canary uh, that I used to take <laughs> with me and stuff like that. Yeah. A little all Davy that. lamp. <laughs> I don't know what his name was. Anyway. Um, so. 1987-1988, um, before we plunge headlong into that, let me set the scene for you. Let me take you back to August the 15th, 1987. That was the start of the uh, English football season. Uh, what was going on uh, August 15th, 1987? Well, TV-wise, there wasn't a lot of football on because um, although a, a sort of two-year deal had been struck by the BBC and ITV at the start of the previous season... There wasn't actually a lot of football on, and what football you were going to see was probably going to be a live match because both channels are really getting into. You might probably remember this thing, Rich. Um, the 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 trend was going towards showing live games, um, and as for your kind of Saturday night match of the day, that suddenly wasn't really around anymore. And um, indeed, on the first Saturday of 
the 87-88 season, August 15th, there was no match of the day on. Um, but if there was, um, what you could have expected to watch in the run-up to um, match of the day, in you know, late on Saturday, Saturday evening, BBC One, uh, 5.30, the Cranky's Electronic Comic... <laughs> Um, with uh, the great surprise, <laughs> well, quite featuring the great Soprendo and Elkie oh my Brooks. God, <laughs> it gets worse. Six oh five, Rolf Harris's cartoon time. <laughs> um, Six thirty five, Carry On Cruising. I remember the BBC showing a lot of Carry On films. Wasn't, wasn't that just Lewis. the same as the previous program? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, Eight o'clock, Seaside Special eighty seven, hosted by the late Mike Smith. Um, uh, eight fifty Bluebell, an eight-part uh, World War Two drama that was, uh, which I don't think anybody remembers. I don't remember it. Ten oh five Miami Vice, ten fifty Monty Python's Flying Circus, and the evening finished pretty much at eleven twenty with um, Elvis One Night with You, which was his sort of nineteen sixty-eight comeback special. So no sign of match of the day on the first Saturday night of the season. Uh, but just to put this into context, Rich, four days before the season started. 1987, the last ever edition of We Are the Champions. I don't know about you, but I'm wearing a black armband because that's just a sad moment in television history. Did you watch We Are the Champions? I did, yeah. I'm trying to think, actually. Which one was that? Because I get confused with all those, like, Kickstart and things like that. (laughs) All the old (laughs) programs there. Because I I remember the... I'm I'm sure I I must have watched it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I must have watched that. It was. It's basically three schools, and each of them submitted teams, and they used to do kind of sports day style events, like kind of running fifty meters, picking up a kind of hula hoop, and then you have to put that over your head, and then run back, tag your next team member, and and there was swimming events, famously as well, and stuff like that. It's kind of like a kind of kids Olympics type thing, instigated by Ron Pickering, uh, no less way back. So Ronnie, ever- hang on, Ronnie Pickering. Not Ronnie Pickering, Ron Pickering. <laughs> Ronnie Pickering! <laughs> I, I don't know if... if are you aware of that particular YouTube clip, Chris, of Ronnie Pickering? Not Ronnie Pickering, no, no. Oh, man, you need to look that up. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. a, basically a cyclist gets to get an encounter with a guy in a... Um, a, a thing, I think it's a Citroen Picasso. Um, and he gets really angry. And the, uh, the guy in the Citroen Picasso goes... Do you know who I am? And the guy goes, No. And he goes, I'm Ronnie Pickering. And he goes, Who? And he goes, Ronnie Pickering. <laughs> and it just continues that. It became a bit of a meme, as these things tend yeah. to do. Um, so, yeah, and look it up one. afterwards. Ronnie Pickering. Brilliant. Right. Another one that passed me by. So, there we go. I'll definitely look up. Because you, you've got a good head for these things. You always, when we're doing all these uh, other podcasts and things, Attic Life and stuff like that, you always manage to unearth these wonderful gems like. Um, Donny Mott, King of Caravans. <laughs> and all that. And, uh, that's now. Super crunchies. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, listeners, then just look for Attic Life Podcast and you'll all will be revealed. Um, anyway, elsewhere... Can I, ju- can uh, I just all- point out as well, actually, sorry, Chris, that actually sorry, yes, the, the Football League season started, of course, on the 1st of August, uh, not the 15th, with... Um, Two teams Coventry playing in a championship. <laughs> Two teams playing in a, in a pointless match, <clears throat> which no one. <clears throat> well, okay, overlooking the uh, charity shield match, as I'm sure you have done since yeah. 1987. Um, so, uh, yes, where was I? Yes, 15th of August, 87. Uh, Music-wise, number one UK single at the time was "I Just Can't Stop Loving You" by Michael Jackson and Cedar Garrett. Um, replacing the previous week's number one, which was "La Bamba" by Los Lobos. 
That uh, pretty much time stamps it, doesn't it? Uh, number one UK album was The Hits Album 6, which is another one of those various artists' things. Uh, your number one movie at the time was Stakeout, Richard Dreyfus, Emilio Estevez. Don't remember that one? No. Nope. That was quite a good film. Well, it was at the time, I felt. Anyway. Um, your top toys at the time, anything really to do with Transformers and Masters of the Universe, uh, your figurines and all that kind of stuff. And generally speaking, in, in the UK at least, uh, what was kind of going on at the time, you're looking at Walkmans, everyone had a Walkman, BMX bikes were the thing to have, and uh, shell suits. Uh, chances are you were probably wearing a shell suit back in 1987. I'd like to point I, out, I never wore a shell suit. No, me neither, actually. I say you probably would have been. I'm just kind of passing the buck well, on You were, you were kind ever... of jabbing a finger at the proles there, weren't you? You could have been wearing <laughs> yes, you, you were letting our, the side down. Yeah, us and our ivory towers were wearing nothing but Versace. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I think I had a sort of couple of tracksuits that were sort of vaguely styled on shell suits, but weren't strictly speaking. Oh, shut up now, I'm digging well, a hole. I, well, um, I was going to say, half of my family from Liverpool, so there was plenty of shell suit action <laughs> going on there, I can tell you now. Uh, I'll bet, yes. Uh, I was also just going to say that as you were reading out these things, it was sounding more and more like, well, like Alan Partridge, like kind of, it was the 70s buckaroo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a, a lot of those things, I must admit, um, um, I remember well, if not fondly, um, yes. We won't go into that. It's not a. It's not a general nostalgia podcast. We're looking say, at football. Let's just, let's just go into an attic life podcast instead. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about He Man and the Masters of the yeah. Universe and what. Super crunchies. <laughs> anyway, uh, the eighty-seven, eighty-eight season. Then let's begin. Uh, now we're going to sort of take, as I say, subtopics, and we're going to compare notes, and uh, we're going to start off uh, by looking at our favourite or what we think is our top team of the season. Rich, who have you gone for? I've gone for Coventry. No, I haven't really. <laughs> Actually, Coventry had a very disappointing season, considering we'd won the FA Cup um, previously. Uh, we only finished 10th in the league, which was a bit disappointing. For, only 10th? How I, Lucky how to I guess say, it. How I wish we could finish 10th in the top division now, eh? You know, even 10th in League 2 would do at the moment. Um so yeah, we'd actually had a dis- we actually did have a disappointing season. We bought David Speedy, who I was never that enamoured with. You know, kind of. I know I think he did finish our top scorer, but it was like something like fifteen goals or something. He wasn't. Mm. I I kind of thought, you know, when they said that we were going to shop at Harrods, not um, Lidl or whatever the hell he actually said at the time. <laughs> um, I I kind of figured we were going to go for someone a bit better than Speedy because he was kind of getting on in his career as well. So he was post Chelsea by that stage, wasn't he? So yeah. So it's like I was never. I, it kind of felt like a bit of a you know, a missed opportunity. But we're not here to talk about Coventry for once. Um uh, no, my favourite team well I, I went for one of two. Um so I've put either Liverpool or Wimbledon, um, mainly because Liverpool, you know, dominated that year. But I actually mm. I've I've changed my mind. I am gonna go for Wimbledon and, and the reason for that yeah. is because we're talking about uh what we think is the best team. Now obviously Liverpool were an amazing team at the time. However Wimbledon, of course, won the FA Cup that year, uh, but they also finished seventh in the league. And yeah. when I, the funny thing is, everyone always has this, uh, you know, vision of Wimbledon being quite a sort of negative team. But I checked, and they actually scored um, as many or more goals than the three teams above them. I think they had something yeah. like fifty-eight goals scored. And and like I say, Arsenal, I think, who finished one above them, had the same amount. And the top two teams, the two teams above that, had fewer goals scored. So I thought, actually, you know, I, I know, okay, I know they did the long ball stuff, so it was really banging in goals was fairly easy. But you know, that kind of 
to have scored that many goals doesn't kind of go with what I think most people would have remembered from Wimbledon, which was mostly sort of negative tactics. Yeah. But that and that kind of makes my point though is the fact that you know Wimbledon were not a collection of superstars by any stretch of the imagination, in the <laughs> same way that Coventry were the year before. But they showed what could be achieved by a great team. And that's kind yeah. of why I've chosen them as the best teams because, yeah, okay, Liverpool absolutely dominated the league, but you know they had a bunch of superstars in their team, and they were already, they'd already been successful. You know they were they were they were you know they were established as a great team, whereas I think Wimbledon, you know, that had only been elected, sorry, only got into the league eleven years <clears> previous, <throat> and suddenly were finishing seventh in the top division and won the FA Cup. So with mm. you know a collection of yeah bricklayers and you know. Hod carriers and stuff, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Ex bricklayers, uh, actually, there were. I think what didn't he, Vinnie Jones used to be a bricklayer or a hod carrier? Or something. I'm sure he did. I think so. Yeah, yeah, something like <clears> that. <throat> yeah, yes. Um, I just I, we're going to say a couple of things. Just going back to an earlier point. Um, I was just checking. Coventry finished tenth the season before that. So I mean, you know, consolidation. Come on. I mean, you can't argue that. Like, like I say, at the end of the day, 10th in the top division. I remember years, a couple of years later, actually, Paul Merton, uh, the comedian, making a comment about um, something like, oh, yeah, you know, comfortably mid-table, a bit like Coventry City. And I remember being massively <laughs> insulted by it because I think, I think the year before that, we'd finished about sixth or something, which was, I think, our highest ever finish. Um, yeah. And I just remember being really insulted. And yet now, oh, man, what I would give for us to finish <laughs> as high as 13th in Division one, as it's not known anymore. <laughs> Can I just say West Ham finished 16th in 87-88, two places above, well, Chelsea, who got relegated, but we will come on to that shortly. But um, yes, that was, it wasn't, wasn't really West Ham's finest um, season by any stretch of the imagination, but... Uh, but I'm not, um, strange enough, I'm not going to pick West Ham as my top team of 87-88. I'm going to go for for Liverpool. I think we, one of us has got to pick Liverpool. And yeah. um, for the obvious reasons, really, um, led by Kenny Dalgleish, um, still at that point with tremendous, tremendous players. I mean, really good. I mean, I completely take your point, Rich, about Wimbledon. I mean, to actually use the quality of players that were available to hand and actually tactically kind of hone them and, and just kind of get them playing great football the way that they did. Was it Bobby Gould still in charge at Wimbledon then? I'm trying to think. Uh, I it think was, it was, it? yeah. It was. Well, yeah. it certainly was when I think they were at Wimbledon. Uh, sorry, at, at Wembley. At, um, so <laughs> At Wimbledon. <laughs> did they win Wimbledon as well? My God. They, they did, yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, straight sets. Uh, sorry, did I say straight sets or sets? Or something? Oh, uh, dear. But I mean, but Liverpool. Um, I mean, just I mean the players that that were there. You've got like John Aldridge, Ray Houghton. Um, I'm just trying to think. Ronnie Whelan, Steve Nichol. I mean, it just kind of goes on and on and on. Peter Beardsley joined them during the summer, um, and it can all still go wrong. Even if you get great players like that, it can all still go wrong. But I think Liverpool had something very much in common with Wimbledon in that they had a manager that just knew how to get the best out of them tactically. You know, I don't know. It was just amazing. And, and just watching Liverpool play, no wonder so many people have Liverpool as their sort of second favourite team even now. Because um, when you watch some of the games that Liverpool played in that season, the, it's not just sort of winning a lot it's winning with style and and oh amazing stuff and I mean the statistics are there for all to see they finished obviously as champions at the end of 87-88 90 points they only lost two games all season 
Um, 87 goals scored, 24 against, um, and finished in the end nine points clear of the next best team, which was Manchester United in the end. And um, it, but I mean, like I say, just just watching Liverpool, even now, it, I just sort of think, my God, what a great team! And um, could sort of wax lyrical about them for for hours and hours on end, but. Um, Going back to an earlier sort of thing that you you mentioned um, about Wimbledon finishing seventh, there is a there is a key thing here, the elephant in the room, when we're talking about eighty seven, eighty eight, Rich, and that is the fact that of course um, English teams were banned from European competition. But, but can you imagine not just Liverpool playing in the Euro- European Cup the following season, but Wimbledon playing in the Cup Winners' Cup? That would have been a, a wonderful sight to see, wouldn't it? Well, didn't I think Wimbledon actually played in Europe, um, possibly in the nineties under the Intertoto Cup? I'm sure Wimbledon won that at one point. Yeah, right. I mean, obviously they weren't the crazy gang of the eighties at that point, um, but <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they did. I'm gonna have to confirm that. But I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure that they, they were like it. They were something like sixteenth or something or thirteenth, and literally all the teams above them because the Intertoto Cup became one of these pointless things for teams that you know had finished below the UEFA spots. And I think mm. about six teams in those in that position just went, no, we don't want to play in it. And eventually, I think Wimbledon went, yeah, I'll go on then, we'll do it. Do you know <laughs> what? Uh, they actually did. I, while you're talking, I've just very quickly Googled it. And 1995, there we in go. Toto Cup group stage, they played uh, Bursa Sport of Turkey. Didn't do very well there. Lost 4-0 at home. Uh, <laughs> Kosice of uh, Slovakia drew one all there. Baitar Jerusalem drew 0-0 at home. And Charleroi of Belgium uh, lost 3-0 and that was that but I do you know what I had no idea well done on um, on your knowledge there me old fruit see if you want pointless trivia from years ago you know where to go <laughs> the dustbins of his mind just a <laughs> my mind is one giant dustbin <laughs> <laughs> I just I'd never I had no idea we would have played in Europe anyway a, a revelation there so uh, Richard's choice uh, Wimbledon my choice Liverpool so at that point, we move on to player of the season from us. I'll go first. And continuing on with the Liverpool theme, I've gone for John Aldridge. He was as near to a kind of stick-on, reliable goal scorer. Um, he was top scorer at the end of the season. I know it's easy to kind of go for the top scorer, but he was just he was one of those players, a bit like Ian Rush before him, who you just expected him to score week in, week out. He just <clears> had the un- unerring accuracy and the ability to be Johnny on the spot. And just scored a hatful of goals and clinical, clinical skill in front of goal. I nearly went for Steve Bull because this was a real sort of key season for him. This is where he started getting noticed. He scored 34 goals for Wolves in Division 4. And um, he then started getting kind of mentioned in terms of playing for England and stuff like that. Or at least this was the early stages of that. So um, to to do so well there um, at Wolves and at that level... He was starting to catch the eye, but um, John Aldridge is my choice. Who have you gone for? I have gone for a kind of an easy option, um, and it's also from Liverpool. I have gone for John Barnes, um, <laughs> mainly because he, I think, he won the the PFA Players Year uh, Player PFA Players Player of the Year award and mm. the FWA. What's the FWA Footballer of the Football Year? Football Writers Association. Of course, yeah. Do you know what I read that and I was thinking, what begins with a W? You know, a W. And that's like, and then of course it's writers, which begins quite rightly with an R, not a W. Writers. <laughs> Yeah. In, he could have gone uh, for a different in, word beginning with W, but uh, luckily yeah, that, well, he was that's spared true, that. Yeah. Um, so I, I've gone for John Barnes, um, and 
because uh, apart from the fact that he actually won that, so he was clearly rated. I always liked John Barnes um, mm. as, a, as a player, and he always seemed to get a lot of stick. And I don't just mean people twats lobbing bananas at him, um, but I mean like you know he always seemed to. I, I, I think they always sort of said, "Well, why can't he recreate his Liverpool form for for England?" And mm. I always thought he was a bit, I don't know, a bit sort of put upon in that sense because I don't think he was that bad for England to be honest. And in, like in '86, yeah, no, he was the, you know the only guy that came on and and sort of you know injected <laughs> any life into us. So I, I don't know if he was just. I can't honestly remember whether he was sort of in the wrong position or underused or if he just didn't perform. But no, so I, I have gone for John Barnes, and also it means I get to say John Barnes again. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Um, I I I I don't think. I'm not sure to what extent people were criticising him for playing, but I'm sure there would have been some people saying he was not good enough for England, but I think there were other candidates ahead of him in the queue where that's concerned, like um, you know Glenn Hoddles and the people like that who are sort of flair players. It's always the flair players that get the stick, um, you know, Matt Letizia and people like that. Uh, I th- always thought John Barnes was a, you know, really good and played well for England, actually, um, and... As you say, just lots of potential. When he was on the field, you knew he could take on players. He was kind of good on the wing and so on and so forth and could score some tremendous goals himself. So um, I never had a problem with John Barnes, all for all, all for him being picked for England as, as much as possible. But um, I just, I would, what I would definitely say was I, I thought he was a really great eye-catching player. Like when you watch those games Liverpool playing at the time, John Barnes has got this kind of, the way he just sort of, um, you know, ran around on the pitch and, and dribbled the ball, he kind of moved like a panther almost. He had this kind of amazing stature and just glided across the pitch and could pick out passes, great ball control, um, really fine player. And, I mean, I, I remember when they signed him, when Liverpool signed him and sort of thinking... Because when he was at Watford, he, that just seemed like the natural place for him to be. And I don't mean that in any kind of like knowing, kind of ironic way. But he just, I don't know, probably because I didn't know much about John Barnes when he was at Watford. He was still an emerging sort of player. And then when Liverpool signed him, you sort of think, is he going to fit in? Is he going to get kind of, will I consider him truly a Liverpool player? And of course, before you know where you were, you did. Because he was just, he sort of ignited even more... I don't know, amazing football on the pitch, along with all the other players that were at Liverpool at the time. So, um, oh, he was he was a tremendous player. He, I think I would say he was probably like my second choice actually for, for player of the season. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like I say, always I, I always really like John Barnes. Barnes. Mm. Uh, uh, by the way, <laughs> while you've been talking, I've just been looking at the Intertoto Cup. Um, it turns out. <laughs> Wimbledon actually finished ninth that season, but I think there were three teams above them that could have been in it. Uh, but mm. I do remember, it might have been when, did Newcastle ever play in it? It was it was a couple of seasons later, mate, some other team played in it, and it was literally like, they were about 13th or something, and everyone else above yeah. them had just gone no thanks. But apparently it started in 1967. Ah. And it was... Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was the idea well, those, of Malmo um... FC, uh, uh, sorry, Malmo FF chairman Eric Person and... Uh, Eric FIFA. Person? <laughs> Yeah, or Pearson, I guess you'd pronounce it. Oh, I see. P E R double S O N, you know. <laughs> Not just <laughs> like, like uh, Joe Bloggs in Sweden. Eric Human, you know. <laughs> um, and apparently it was, it was known as the Cup for the Cupless. <laughs> oh, yeah, because wasn't it kind of created as a sort of, a, a, basically a competition that would generate <clears throat> matches that people could then, when they do the football pools during the summer, yes. then they could do that. But on the continent, it wasn't, because in England, yeah, yeah. of course, we had the Australian. Yes, football it derived its name from Toto, the German term for football pools. There we go. Yes. 
And yeah. I think years later it became, I think in the last, I'm sure in late 90s it became, you qualified for it if you were like the Fair Play Award winners, I'm hmm. sure. There was yeah, that old, West, yeah, West Ham have been in it on a, on a few occasions for that very reason, because we are arbiters of fair play, as you know. Ugh. <laughs> <West> <laughs> Yeah, like, except, when it come, except when it comes to paying for your own stadium, you wankers. <laughs> yes, yes, all right, all right. I'm still paying for your stadium. Actually, I don't think I am. I think it's only London <laughs> players. <laughs> but but you're sort of you feel at one with the uh, other <laughs> Londoners yeah. who don't support West Ham. I know yeah. I know someone who lives there, so you know that I feel their pain. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fine then, stadium, you know. If you choose to live in London, <laughs> you get where it's coming to you. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> Moving on from my weird prejudices. Uh, so, what have we got next then? Okay, so we move from player to manager slash coach. Um, mm. I'll let you go first again on this one. You've gone for the obvious one, you know. Well, I, I know it's, it's so obvious as to go for sort of Liverpool um, entries on, on these kind of categories. But, you, you know, I think, strangely enough, I generally think a lot of people forget how good Liverpool were that season. Um, I mean, aside from the obvious thing that they won the title. But it's just... Like I say, it's the great players, great coach, and Kenny Dalglish. And um, I can still remember him, um, I think, playing... I think it was his last game. It was a game against Chelsea. And it, was, it might have been a live game or something on TV uh, in which he scored. And I think the kind of feeling it was, if I remember this correctly, that that was basically going to be like his last game and he was going to sort of retire as a player. Whether it was known at the time that he was going to become a coach or not, I'm not sure. But um, there's always that question mark of, you know, of a player going into management thinking, mm, I'm not sure if this is going to work. And yeah, I had my doubts at the time. But um, I mean, he just he got that team really motoring. I mean, it goes without saying. And no doubt he would have had help from the um, Liverpool backroom staff and, and whatever. But um yeah, I mean, if ever there was a case of a player moulding a team to play in the way that he himself played and at the same levels of quality, then I think Kenny Dalglish was it. And and I think, sadly, we were sort of robbed of many years of him in management, be it at Liverpool or anywhere else. And it would have been great to have seen him sort of become a great, one of the real greats like uh, you know Bill Shankly or whatever or Matt Busby. I think had things worked out better for him, we might just have seen that I think he certainly had the potential but fortunately fortunately for Liverpool Football Club he uh, did manage to um, conjure up a bit of magic for his old team uh, when he was manager there so he gets my vote and who did you go for? Oh, I was just going to say on Douglish actually he was player manager for a year or two um, yes. at Liverpool when oh, that, he first yeah, started yeah. so 86, 87 I can't remember if he actually was still playing the following year or if he uh, I think he was definitely Ooh, player probably. manager in 86, 87 I think did he retire at the end of that season or was it anyway, whatever? Um, yeah, so I have gone for Graham Taylor um, mm. because uh, he took over um, Villa at the start of the season and they'd just been relegated the previous season um, and he got them promoted at the first attempt. Now, it's obviously with a team that's only just gone down, it's it's hard to say whether they won that league because obviously they still had top division resources, I suppose. But there's no doubt that Graham Taylor was a brilliant manager when it came to club football. And every single club that he went to, he sort of managed to sort of... I think he was one of those ideal managers who could work with very little and get a lot out of them. Um, mm. I, it always kind of Roy Hodgson was someone who struck me as the sort of same, and and which is why I don't think he kind of worked with the English. And I think the same with Graham Taylor. I think he's one of those people who gets a lot out of very little, but if you give him too much, 
they can't yeah. seem to replicate the success. Um, and I think Graham Taylor was just possibly one of the best club managers um, around. And the fact that he got Villa promoted, and ironically, it was at Watford's expense, who obviously he'd just left. Mm. Um, so yeah, he's my choice, Graham Taylor. You know, because I think with the Kenny Douglas thing, it kind of goes with my point I made before. It's like I, I have absolutely no doubt Douglas was a fantastic manager, and especially at the time, you know. Um, mm. But I also think, like you said, there's a lot of help from the backroom staff. The, the support network was there. The whole infrastructure around Liverpool was there. And they were already successful. So it's kind mm. of, you know, continuing that success, that success, yes, is difficult. And it doesn't mean that you're any less of a manager. But I just think the path was already there and the infrastructure was already there. Whereas, obviously, Graham Taylor took a relegated team and brought them straight back up. I think they were champions as well, actually. Um, yeah. So, so it's, it's, you know, for me, Graham Taylor gets the vote. Yeah, there's um, if you if you're sort of wondering how easy it is to um, get a recently relegated team straight back up the first attempt, let's let's ring up Aston Villa now and see how they're getting on, shall we? Um, <laughs> Good. <clears throat> yes, I'm just I'm just saying. Um, you know. um, so anyway, there you go. No, he was yeah, he he did a tremendous job and he was there for three years, I think, Aston Villa. So um, yeah, he and wasn't almost, just sort of... almost won the league with them. I think they finished second. And that's another thing. They finished. I'm sure they finished second the following year in like the top division. Yeah, uh, they were actually the, f- the following year. I'm just looking. They actually were one place above the relegation spots. Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, we'll let it that bit out. Don't worry. No one will know. Yeah. No. Um, but no, it was the effect. The year after that, it was a uh, uh, season after that. Eighty nine, ninety. They finished second. Yeah, nine points behind Liverpool. That, that's what that's what I said. The season what, after that season, season after, yes, yeah, they finished second behind that. Liverpool. Was it Liverpool? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. So they uh, seamless, seamless. Yes, absolutely. Facts at our fingertips, everyone. Um, now we move on to goal of the season, and I'm not going to take the easy option. Just like pick the BBC goal of the season because you know I'm not that lazy. Uh, but Rich, you go first on this. Um, which goal particularly rings out for you from the eighty-seven, eighty-eight season? Well, I have gone for what would have been possibly one of the last goals scored in the eighty-seven, eighty-eight season, which is none other than one of the best goals of all time, which was Van Basten's in the mm-hmm. eighty-eight European Championships final. Um, I mean. If there's someone listening to this who doesn't know what that goal is, what are you doing? Because that is literally one of the best goals of all time. Hmm. Um, so I, I, I will say no more on it because you know which goal I'm talking about. And it was just absolutely amazing. And to have done that in a final as well. I mean, <laughs> Holland absolutely dominated that tournament um, and were a cracking team. And again, a cracking team as well. They were a brilliant team at the time. Hmm. And to have, you know, I mean, Hullet's original goal was like a, a what I would think would be termed as a bullet header. Uh, and then the Van Basten's second goal, you know, I, I don't think I've anyone, I don't think I've ever seen perhaps a team that so deserved to win that final. You know, it's like, mm. I mean, Russia, sorry, Soviet Union were an incredibly strong team as well, having, you know, pretty much, I mean, well, England lost to both of those teams <laughs> in the opening oh. round. Um, 3-1 to both, I believe it was. Um, I was imagine it might have been three nil again. Uh, so yeah, it was three one I think against both. So we were terrible, but they but they were literally the best teams there, and it wasn't a totally one sided final. You know, the Soviet Union was still incredibly good, but Holland yeah. were just too good for them. And and to finish with that goal as well, fantastic. Yeah, I remember watching that final, and when he scored that goal, I just I think I just instinctively thought that's going to go down as one of the kind of 
greatest goals ever, not just because of the technique and the sheer aplomb with which he dispatched the ball, but just the fact, as you say, that he did it in a final. And I thought for that reason alone, it's surely going to rank up alongside anything that Pelé scored in the you know, 1970 World Cup or whatever, because you've got no right <coughs> to score a goal like that in a, in a major final. I mean, that's, I just, it just blew my mind that as much as anything. But I mean, as a, as someone who loves, has always loved seeing spectacular goals being scored. I mean, that was just right out the top draw. I mean, I, I just thought that was unbelievable. Really blew my mind when that went in. So what have you gone for then, Chris? Well, uh, I've, st- uh, I've stolen the Van Basten one. Yeah, no, well, I've, um, I'm back with Liverpool again. I've just realised nearly everything I've picked is Liverpool related. <laughs> I didn't I didn't spot the trend when I was writing my <clears> notes, but I can see it now. It's obvious. Um, so, yes, OK. Um, and, I've, well, I've gone for John Aldridge scoring for Liverpool against Arsenal. This was in January 88. And... Why I've picked it, it is um, it is available on YouTube, if you look up Liverpool v Arsenal 1988. Um, basically, it's um, it's a game in which Liverpool won 2-0. This is really, I mean, by the time 1988 starts, Liverpool are really in full flow by that point. I mean, they're miles ahead of everybody else. And the confidence is oozing. And if you watch this game, you see why Liverpool are such a good team. Because for a start, the game's being played at, like, 100 miles an hour I mean there's just passes pinging around everywhere and everyone's kind of running around and and just like putting 100% into everything and going back to the earlier thing of picking like you know your favourite team and I went for Liverpool one thing I forgot to mention there excuse me is that another reason that why Liverpool was so good is that when you watch them that season it seems like every player is um basically not just kind of operating within the realms of their own position on the pitch, but there's, there's, if there's defending to be done, they're getting back. Like, you see John Barnes getting back to help defend. You see, you know, defenders like Steve Nicholl going up front and scoring. Every It's like sort of almost like total football almost. There's players kind of moving in and out of positions and just throwing everything physical kind of energy just to, just to kind of help out, whether it's in attack or defence or tackling, whatever. Um, and with this particular goal that I mentioned, John Aldridge scoring, it was the first of the two goals. It starts off, John Barnes basically dribbles with the ball down to the byline and sort of takes on a player on the byline just for sort of a bit of extra flair. He then crosses the ball and it goes right across the face of the goal and eventually um, it reaches Stephen Mann, who's sort of ran about on the edge of the penalty area. He has a shot and it goes into a whole load of Arsenal players. Tony Adams kicks the ball away and clears it and you see the ball kind of bouncing off towards the touchline on the near side of the pitch but um it was uh steve mcmahon he just he thinks right i'm not letting that ball go off because we're on a run here like we, we nearly scored keep up the pressure so he runs after the ball just about manages to keep it on as he does so he ends up nearly kind of the momentum of his running nearly takes him straight into the crowd as he's doing that there's an arsenal player coming up to try and nick the ball um, off of him but Steve McMahon turns around puts the ball through his legs and then um, <clears throat> basically gives the ball to uh, Peter Beersley he has a shot which is saved by John Lukic and then the rebound off of that is put away by John Aldridge from close range now I mean it's, a, it's an incredible sort of passage of play but the reason I picked it is just because it shows sheer bloody-minded determination of like from Liverpool like we're not giving up on this we're going to stop the ball going off we're going to 
put balls through other players' legs. We're going to do whatever we have to do. We're just going to keep pinging shots at the goal until finally something happens and you will just be kind of pummeled into submission. And, and that's what it is. It's just a victory for determination and skill, um, you know, over the opponents. And it, it's just, I mean, Peter Beasley actually scored a goal just shortly after that, which is a beautiful goal. And I could have easily picked that, but I just love seeing players just trying their utmost to do what they can to score. And that's a real team effort, that one. Indeed. It is on YouTube. I shall, um, I'm going to have to look at that afterwards because I haven't actually seen it for years. Oh, I've, I, I remember seeing it at the time and it always crops up when you sort of see goals from that era because it's just, it's such an exciting passage of play. But anyway. but, that, but the funny thing is, is like I've gone for a spectacular goal, um, whereas I actually prefer sort of goals mm-hmm. that are kind of just you near know, like either team goals or like, you know, Maradona's individual effort where they just sort of roll it over the line. Yeah. But the funny thing is, I, I class, I, what I've always said is, I, I'm not a massive fan of, you know, 30-yard screamers, because nine times out of ten, they don't go in. So, okay, when they do go in, you do kind of think, well, how much of that was just luck on this <laughs> occasion that that one happened to go in? But the thing with the Van Bastens, it was, it's spectacular, but mm. it's just spectacular for the sheer level of skill, because it wasn't a, you know, a 30-yard screamer thing, but a volley, at not close range, but a volley from a long looping pass, and straight hmm. into the net, and it, I'm sure it, cut, it was just amazing. So, yeah, interesting that you've gone for one that yeah. I would normally go for, and, and vice versa. And vice versa, but, um, yeah. But, and yeah, and the fact that, that Van Basten's goal, he was like a meter off of the touch of the byline. Yeah, he, exactly. That, he had that such well. a tight angle; it's unbelievable. He volleys it in. <laughs> I mean, what, what are you thinking? <laughs> oh my god! So yeah, very much a sort of um, vice versa situation because I love I love spectacular goals as well. So, anyway, I've just remembered actually when you said vice versa, we we, we haven't done our Brucey tribute because you said like vice oh. versa. Just pour out. We you, Bruce. We do good game, good game. Legend, yes. Anyway, so <laughs> good. Glad you remember that. We had to do a Brucey moment. Yes, um, a Brucey bonus, if you will. Yes. <laughs> So, we go on to favourite match uh, of the season. Now, um, you've gone for an interesting one on this, so explain yourself. Well, I've gone for an interesting one, and it's also one that I never actually saw. But, <laughs> but the reason I've gone <laughs> okay. for it um, is because uh, when I was actually uh, looking back over the uh, the matches of the, of the year, I, I didn't see this at the time. I don't think I've ever seen it in my life, but I was struck by it, and I just thought that, that's got to have been one of the best matches and that's the point. It's the UEFA Cup final, which back in those days was a two-legged affair. And not mm. only that, but it was played like two weeks apart. <laughs> it's like, you know, the home leg was played, and then two weeks later, they rocked up to play the, the other leg. So, um, But the reason I've gone for it is because the first leg is basically between Espanyol and Bayer Leverkusen. And the first leg, uh, Espanyol were at home, and they won 3-0. And the second leg, Leverkusen were at home, and they won 3-0. Um, and it's just like, I was just amazed because it's like, I think probably other than the, uh, that Liverpool Milan final, was it, sorry, was it in, no, it was Liverpool Milan, wasn't it? Um, yeah, but it was like, right. but they were four nil down and then came back and won it on penalties or whatever. Or was it three nil down? Can't remember. Whatever. Um, I just, I've, I've never seen, you know, cause you can imagine from going into the second leg, Espanol fans would just have been like, well, this is just pedestrian. We've just got to walk this. And then suddenly they lost three nil. Uh, and the best part is Leverkusen actually ended up winning the damn thing because they won it on penalties. Um, <laughs> and not only that, but looking at the penalty shootout, um, Leverkusen actually missed their first penalty. <laughs> so it's like Espanyol at this point would have probably been like, oh, okay, you know, normal service resumed. 
And then they scored their first two penalties, uh, but then also missed their remaining three in a, in a row. Uh, so literally, uh, Leverkusen sort of missed their first one, scored the next three, uh, and Espanyol got their first two and then missed all three after that. So yeah, Leverkusen won. And I, I was just struck by that. I was like, if you'd have actually seen that at the time, which sadly I didn't, that would have just been insane. You know, you would never yeah. think in a million years, like I say, going to that second leg. Leverkusen probably thought, we haven't got a bloody hope in hell. And Espanyol would be just thinking, oh, we just need to stroll this. And then it's also like, what? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> So yes, I've, I've gone for a match that I haven't ever seen. So <laughs> no, but I, I was just going to say, I think that's definitely one to search out on YouTube. I think because that's, um, I bet that's pretty good. I wouldn't mind betting that that wouldn't have been live on British TV at all because no. that's still back in the territory of no British teams involved. Oh, forget it. We won't bother showing it. Whereas now, of yeah, course, it's, it's all it's always shown somewhere. Well, I remember. Um... Was it Dundee United versus Gothenburg? I think it was. Mm. Uh, was that was shown live? And I'm trying to yeah. think. I think that was. Was that 87? Seven, yep, was, exactly, yep. Yep, so so that was shown live, but I'm pretty damn sure this one wasn't, like you said. No, no well, Scottish was okay in you know, in England. Yeah, exactly. Scottish yeah. team involved and all that, but um, no, I don't think that would have been shown. It would have been a, like a sort of um, uh, shown in highlights form on sports night or something like that, probably. When, when you say a Scottish team, do you mean Liverpool? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, mostly Scottish. Apart from the yeah. <laughs> Zimbabwean fella in goal, um, yeah. I've gone. For, I was going to go for England beating Turkey eight uh, nil, which was yeah. that was a, a Euro eighty eight qualifier, which was played in October of that season. And the funny thing was not not funny to Turkish, um, is that England beat them. I think eight nil four years before that, and it became a thing like. Whenever they used yep. to do a draw for the qualifiers, it's like, oh, please let us have Turkey. Because you just knew there were going to be goals. Of course, it's all changed now. I mean, Turkey's sort of vastly better than England a lot of the time. Um, certainly don't expect to score eight against them. But um, I didn't go for that. I went for a surprise, surprise. I've gone for a Liverpool game. But I've gone for it because I feel that our listenership and the public in general need to be represented by one of us. Um, so many people, I think, remember the match between... Liverpool and Nottingham Forest in April 1988, in which Liverpool won 5-0. And um, the reason why was the reason why people talk about the game is just because it was a tremendous exhibition of how Liverpool were playing at the time. And they were playing against Nottingham Forest, who were a team that were up until fairly late in the season were challenging for the title, albeit a bit of a distance behind Liverpool. Um, Liverpool had a like a, I think at the end of I'm just trying to remember now. Um, oh, at the end of January, they had a 17-point lead, Liverpool, at the top of the... That's at January, 17-point lead. I know that was kind of cut in half by the end of the season because they had a bit of a poor run-in towards the end. Um, but Forest were nearly always in second, just behind them. And, um, in fact, I think going into this match, Forest <coughs> were on a pretty good run of form and Liverpool were um, not doing too well. Um a bit of context here. Four days before this game, um, Liverpool had beaten Forest 2-1 in the FA Cup semi-final. So that was the second time of three that they played each other. And earlier in the season, Forest had beaten Liverpool 2-1 at the City Ground. So this was the third time that they were playing each other. And like I say, two teams challenging for the title and Liverpool won 5-0. And it would have been about 9-0 because they had um, uh, Steve Sutton in goal. Nottingham Forest at the time and um, he pulled off some tremendous saves it would have been a far bigger score not for him 
And even Nottingham Forest, I mean, they had a really good team. I mean, there's some decent players. There's Stuart Pearce, Des Walker, Neil Webb, Nigel Clough. So they were no pushovers. And to win 5-0, and, and the way they won it, I mean, again, look it up on YouTube. It's There's there's lots of clips of it, like a little 5-10 minute um, summaries of that game. Brilliant. Breathtaking, the way they were playing. And um, <coughs> it was just... It was just extraordinary, really. Oh, yeah, I'll just, make it, I'll just read in one of my notes here. Forest were unbeaten their last five games heading into that match. So, you know, by no means was it going to be that... Was it looking that one-sided ahead of the game? But um, that was one of the best ever Liverpool performances, I think, really. Not just that season. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, you you mentioning the England versus Turkey games uh, it sparked a memory for me because like I always remember reading in the sort of uh, the like the uh, Panini sticker albums for the tournaments where they had the um, like the kind of qualifying um, results, mm. and I always remember seeing so often like England beating Turkey eight nil and and like Poland we'd beat like five nil and stuff like this, and we always seemed to breeze through it. But it reminded me actually of another game that was actually from this season. It was a friendly um, in um, oh actually ah it wasn't damn it I thought it said November damn it's actually from the season before that's gutted me I'm gutted now so. <laughs> I was oh, I was cool. gonna mention I was gonna mention the the Spain to England four match, but I, oh, I, I yeah. read that as no, I thought it was November eighty seven, which would have put it in this season, but it was not. It was the season before, <laughs> so I apologise. But yeah, Gary Lineker scoring four goals. Yes, wow. remember that definitely. Yes, um, as I mentioned earlier on, we have had some feedback. We asked um, you on Twitter and Facebook uh, if you're listening in for your memories of 87 88 and uh, certainly when we're talking about the favorite your favorite match uh, that was probably the one we got most feedback on our old friend Jay from uh, the designfootball.com websites uh, he nominated Liverpool's demolition of forest uh, Ed Carter uh, Dotmond on Twitter uh, he went for Liverpool 5-0 against Nottingham Forest he said uh, worthy of an entire podcast on its own Peter Beasley played like a god he said or played like god um, and yeah, absolutely. Uh, Andy Rockwell then sort of replied and said, "Still the single greatest performance I've seen via Sports Night." Second, second mention of Sports Night in this podcast. Uh, he said, "I kept it on video for years, nearly wore it out." Um, so there you go. That's uh, a tribute enough. And he goes on to say, "Andy, um, how about Man City's ten-one victory over Huddersfield? Three hat tricks in that game at Cock, Stewart, and White." And um, Huddersfield's manager was um, Malcolm McDonald, um, who I think was, that was his first job after leaving Fulham, if I remember rightly. But um, yes, I don't think he um, had much of a taste for management after that. That was a fair old whipping. I saw the uh, saw the goals of that on YouTube earlier on. That's, uh, that was a good one as well. What, who else did we hear from there, Rich? Uh, he says, quickly returning back to the actual <laughs> yes. sheet, because I was looking at something else. Sorry. Um, I, you tell me, Chris. Well, we heard from... Sorry, I was just drinking. They were catching each other up. <laughs> Got you back. Um, Russell Osborne. Hello, Russell. Uh, he says, oh, no, please not Arsenal against Luton in the Littlewoods Cup. He says, as a 10-year-old, that brought me to tears. The only consolation I can remember was that Luton later broke the trophy, supposedly. I'm not aware of that <laughs> little... Um, that, no, I, that, I'm that not little. either. Actually, I have to say, the Littlewoods Trophy, the Littlewoods Cup Trophy, was a great trophy. Mm. It was really nice. Was very, very tall, but very sort of ornate. Um Mm. Much better than the uh, what was it? Okay, well, the Rumbelows Cup afterwards, <laughs> which I think they just used the League Cup for that one. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, this was actually back in the day where they all got separate trophies. Like the Milk Cup was pretty crappy, 
that was like a sort of, I don't know, like a chew it, slightly squashed, um, it was like a tubular thing. Um, what else? Who came after Rumbelows? Um, li- um, um, Littlewoods. Littlewoods, am I thinking it? Oh, no, hang on. No, L- Littlewoods was before. Oh, Worthington. Worthington Cup. Oh, yeah, Worthington. I think they just used the League Cup from that point on, yeah. didn't they? But I t- tell you, one of the worst, though, was the Skull Cup in um, <laughs> Scotland, which was just like literally like a tankard with two handles. Um, <laughs> I don't remember anyway. seeing that. I have to look for that. Oh, yeah, it's, it's not a pretty trophy. Mind you, it's not as bad as the old Today newspaper a Football <laughs> League trophy, which was just a piece of wood with some perspex on the top. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, so yeah, so we also had feedback from Andrew Collin on Facebook, said, well, there was a decent League Cup final that season, <laughs> uh, which is a view supported by Mike Thomas on Twitter. Yeah, so, well, I, I actually, that was a quite a good final. I do, I do remember watching that and, and very much enjoying it. And not only that, but that was back in the day, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, when the League Cup final was played in April so it actually mm. felt like it had some merit because it was played near the end of the season as cup final should be not now where it's played in I don't know what like February. January February yeah. yeah or into if you're in Scotland it's played in pretty much the end of August I think these days <laughs> yeah that's right yeah. I think I think Scotland is played in it is literally about sort of um, October November it's ridiculous what's the point mind you you've only got like 10 teams in the league in Scotland I think you know so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the League Cup final, um, yeah, Luton beating Arsenal 3-2, and uh, I think still to this day, Luton's only sort of major trophy, I think. If I'm, I'm sure there'll be somebody who'd say, oh, you've forgotten they won the so-and-so trophy or whatever. But anyway, I, I do remember watching that. It was one of those rare occasions where a Wembley final was like genuinely really good to watch, and uh, yeah. yeah, good one, that. Um, so. There we are. So that's that's your kind of uh, favourite memories of your best match of the season. We now come on to the category of best kit or best shirt, I suppose, or one way or the other. Um, what did you go for, Rich? I suppose there was a few strong contenders in this season. Yeah, I've gone for the obvious one, which was the Holland 88 one, uh, but also honourable mentions for Kov's home kit, which was the Hummel one, but also the Villa Away kit version of that, which I think is still one of the, the nicest versions of that shirt. But yeah, Holland 88, it's kind of obvious, you know, It's but it is still an absolutely classic shirt. And I think from, given the context of the time as well, I know kits were starting to look, to look more modern, because I know looking at your choices, Chris, um, actually the ones you've picked is a very smart kit as well. But so kits were starting to move very much towards much more modern looking um, than even the sort of V-necks and stuff that they'd had in the mid 80s. But the Holland 88 one was just completely off the bat. It was And, it, and in orange as well. I've always said this, mm-hmm. you know, you can have that shirt in many different colours, but orange has got to be the one that just looks the most insane of the lot. So, yeah, that's <laughs> my choice. Holland 88. Sorry, actually, Netherlands 88. Netherlands. Just because otherwise Jay will be like punching his earphones at home listening to that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I and the thing is with that kit, that Netherlands kit, is that um, I think I'm pretty sure in saying that they didn't wear it in the season leading up to that tournament. I think they started wearing it in the tournament um, because yeah. the Netherlands started played, and finished. Yes, yeah, that's right. Um, and because the Netherlands played England in a, a friendly at Wembley, uh, I think it was early in '88, and they were yep. still wearing their sort of uh, sort of uh, what should we call it, like solid <clears throat> orange coloured shirts. Yeah, at the time. Um, so, um, so yeah. Um, I think it was about March or April. It was. It was only mm. a month or two before the tournament. Yeah. Mm. And I think. And, I think we drew, didn't we? Was it a draw? I, well, I think friendly. Yeah. Or well, yeah. Lose. But or, I know we well, got absolutely destroyed by Holland in the tournament. 
I thought I thought we got beaten because there was I think one of the that goals that that was scored by the Netherlands. It had like twenty two passes leading up to it, and um, yeah, um, so go figure. But um, I, I'm in breaking with tradition, I've decided not to go for Liverpool as the answer to this particular uh, category. Um, I've gone for Rangers, and there's a particular reason I've gone for it, really. And that is because I actually owned the Rangers shirt from that season. If you heard any of our previous podcasts when we were doing our 50 greatest football shirts ever countdown, uh, which is probably, what, a couple of years ago now we did that? Oh, my God. Um, Yeah, it was in that. And for those who don't know, it was basically your regular blue shirt, like Rangers, you you would expect Rangers to wear. But it had a kind of checkerboard shadow pattern, uh, which was very distinctive. And this was the first season they wore it, Rangers. Um, and it had this kind of umbro sort of button-up collar, like a round neck collar, but um, had a button-up sort of thing going on there. And McEwen's Lager was the sponsor on the front. And, um, yeah, I loved it. And, in fact, so much so that... Because this was the period where I was starting to actually buy shirts for myself. Because, as I said earlier on, just started actually going out to work. Uh, around about that time, so I had a bit of money to spend on the occasional football shirt. And I remember wearing this Rangers shirt regularly over at the local park, playing football with my mates and stuff. And it just, it it really looked nice. And I was very fond of that shirt. Also, the away shirt for that one uh, was like a red and white diagonal halved shirt, a bit like sort of Monaco shirt, but with the diagonal going the other way, which was very distinctive as well. So um, I was going to go for Holland. I thought I'll try and be different. So I've gone for Rangers. Honorary mention, my other choice was going to be Leeds United's uh, kit that season. Now, that was all white, as it usually is with Leeds. But what they had, it was another Umbro kit, and they had these kind of blue and yellow diagonal blocks kind of sliding in from the side of the shirt, but they were kind of cut off halfway down. I'm probably not describing it very well, um, but it was one of those ones, one of those shirts that you see, you don't see it as a sort of template very often worn by other teams. I think, as far as I know... I think Leeds were the only team that were wearing it, and it just um, it looked really nice. I was as I was doing research for this podcast, I was seeing a few video clips, and at one point I saw Leeds wearing this this kit, and I thought, "Wow, that looks fantastic!" I'm, I'm not sure I rated it all that much at the time, actually, but um, but it was very nice. So that would that was my sort of backup option, that one. But um, it's Rangers for me on the kit. Just trying to be different from the old Holland option there. <laughs> Well, the um, the Celtic kit from that year was also very nice. Um, I think that was their centenary year as well, so they changed the badge for it. Mm. Um, and at first, when I first saw them, I thought they were the same template, uh, but they weren't because the Rangers one was a checkerboard pattern, and I think the Celtic one was actually diamonds um, mm. as like a shadow print. But the Celtic one was great, and actually, that when Celtic played Rangers that year, I think that was possibly one of the best sort of mm-hmm. shirts on the pitch. Um, combinations yeah. of all time actually because they both look really nice sort of very modern but also you know traditional at the same time because it was both their their traditional colours but in such sort of really smart looking shirts mm. um, what was I going to say oh secondly uh, just to recap on the England Holland match uh, <laughs> my memory was correct uh, ah. <laughs> it was March the 23rd 1988 and it was 2-0 um, 2-0 oh, okay. Linick and Adams scored for England and Bosman and Adams again scored for Holland because <laughs> Adams scored an own goal so, and uh, Van, Van Basten didn't actually play in that match because he was injured which is probably yeah. just as well because <laughs> when he did play against us in Euro 88 we were crap there you go yes indeed um, so it must have been Bosman who scored that goal after 22 passes and then probably like put in a transfer request straight, straight afterwards I hey oh hey <laughs> 
Um, going back to the Rangers Celtic thing, you, you had, um, one of our followers on Twitter, McDoug, uh, who's at 1x176 on Twitter, if you want to follow him, he basically echoed your sentiments there. Richie basically says, uh, Rangers v Celtic game, uh, both with their greatest kits in my eyes, he said. So, um, yeah, um, that was a good season for old firm kits, you might say. Um, it leads us nicely on to the next category, which is a, a controversy, uh, biggest controversy of the season. And yeah, you didn't have to look very far beyond Rangers playing Celtic because it was just like open warfare, really. I mean, and that's in a, a, a traditionally hostile kind of um, situation there with the rivalry between the two sets of fans. Uh, my God, yes. Um, I, I won't sort of go through all the details, but let's just say Graham Soonis was in charge of Rangers. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, quite. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the two games that were played, I think four people were sent off. I think, Char- uh, not Charlie Nicholas, uh, what's his name? Frank McAvenny, who had gone back to Celtic yeah. from West Ham. He got sent off for, for Celtic. And I think it was Graham Roberts and, oh, I don't know. Um, just, I mean, Rangers were just a basket case that season. Rangers are actually my favourite Scottish team and only on the basis that when I was a kid, I had the old shoot league ladders and I had them all completed because you must never miss a week of collecting the tabs. You've got to get all the tabs. And I had it all laid out in front of me and I sort of thought, I'm going to pick one team in each division that I'm going to sort of follow and they're going to be my favourite team for that division. And I just picked Rangers for some reason. So I always sort of had a thing for Rangers, but, um, at that particular point in history, Rangers were just, thanks to their sort of influence, shall we say, of their manager, Graham Soonis, they were just, I mean, just kicking lumps out of everyone. And and to be fair, Celtic sort of gave as good as they got when when, when they played Rangers as well. Um, but it was so bad that, in fact, um, I think several of the Rangers players ended up in court, basically, because it amounted to, you know, common uh, a, a common assault and aggression, essentially. And... Um, it was all very messy. I mean, that's just talk about bringing the game into disrepute. There you go, Rangers. Um, well, my comment on that is Scottish people fighting. What the hell's controversial about that? <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying, but they ended up in court, and I thought, oh yeah, no, same sort yeah. of thing. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, Scottish people in court for fighting. What's controversial about that? <laughs> what next? That they drink and, and eat deep fried Mars bars. This is not news. Fake news. No. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I changed mine because I was going to go for um, for Chelsea being relegated by the playoffs as controversial, um, but I've actually changed it to Vinnie Jones grabbing Gaza's nuts um, yeah. because obviously that was, apart from being hilarious, that was very controversial at the time. I mean, Vinnie Jones obviously had a reputation for being a bit of a nut bar um, and, and that was kind of... The, the the epitome of I mean that's to me the classic Vinnie Jones move isn't it really mm. I don't mean sort of you know groping of the men's genitals uh, but just the kind of the 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 whole Vinnie Jones's whole shtick was basically intimidation and yeah. that's exactly what that was it was literally like kind of like I'm gonna I'm gonna get you uh, I just remember <laughs> I just remember a cartoon once I remember seeing um, which was like uh, a Vinnie Jones late tackle and it's basically him flying in on someone standing at a bus stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> So that was his whole kind of thing that he did, you know, to make up for his complete lack of ability as a footballer or an actor, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I've gone for that because obviously there were, there were questions in the press at the time, the outrage of it all. And, you know, it's like, mm. should he be done for assault and should he be banned for like a billion years or something? But uh, at the end of the day, it was still funny. So, you know, and, well, um, 
The thing is, probably gone. Why I mean not Pat. The well, <laughs> thing is, if you if you look, um, there is footage of that game, Newcastle playing Wimbledon um, on YouTube, and you see um, if you find the right clip, um, sort of bits from throughout the game, and Vinnie Jones is basically all over Gaza like a cheap fur coat. I mean, he just didn't let him out of his sight the whole game. They were just like joined at the hip, and you see a clip when the when the game finishes, Gaza turns around to to Vinnie Jones, and they basically give each other a hug. And you can see sort of Vinnie Jones like talking to Gaza, say like, "Well played," and you know, we were a match for each other. And and yet, yes, we're both kind of playing with a degree degree of aggression or whatever, but and, and playing in a very physical way. But you could see they actually respected each other for the way they played. It wasn't like. You know, Gaza then went off and sort of said, "Oh, you grabbed my testicles or whatever." You know, he just he, it. They 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 both put a hundred percent into the game, and they knew that they were basically marking each other throughout the game. Vinnie Jones more more to Gaza than the other way, possibly. But um, so, even though there was a degree of controversy about it at the time, I think between the two players, they both sort of felt like it was a really good game, and and both players treated each other fairly to some extent. So yes. I'd only really seen that footage only in the last 24 hours. I didn't didn't think there was any footage of it, but um, yeah, go seek it out if you can, listeners. Um, but um, the thing you mentioned about Chelsea actually was um, something suggested by I think um, Andy Rockall, um, who's was. Uh, already given us a few sort of comments, and he, he quite rightly points out I think they were the only team ever to get relegated by the playoffs um, when the playoffs sort of applied to the first division because back then it was. I don't think they did it for very long, but it was like the. Let me think. It was like the third. You, you had, sorry, you had three teams at the bottom of the first division, and they got automatically relegated. And then the team above them in 18th, which was Chelsea in this case, then had a playoff with. Um, th- let me think. The teams that finished third, fourth, and fifth in the second division, and then there were semi-finals, final, blah blah. And Chelsea um, lost their place because of that, and it was Middlesbrough who took their place in the end. So that was kind of controversial in a way. I'm, I'm, maybe it was that that they um, it, it sort of forced the arm of football league to sort of go. <clears throat> actually, we, we've just lost a sort of pretty sort of readable <laughs> top flight team. We better change the rules in future. And not, you know. so uh, yeah. So there we go. So there's your controversy. Um, biggest disappointment of the season. Um, well, I, I've mentioned um, England at Euro '88. Uh, purely because they were just they were just so such a massive disappointment. Lost all three games, um, and just completely you know considering we'd reached the quarterfinals of the World Cup before, and obviously we'd drawn with Holland two two just before we we had we'd had an absolutely storming um, campaign to qualify, and all the you know it was all the cards were showing that we were going to be really good, and we just fell apart. Mm. I don't think we ever recovered from losing one nil to Ireland in no. the first match and then after that because obviously the the idea was well we'd go there that would be an easy three points and then we'd just see what we could get you know maybe scrape two draws or something against the other two but no we lost that first one and then got absolutely destroyed by holland and then by the soviet union as well um so and the frustrating thing with the soviet union was we were already out of it by that point and we still lost three one you know (laughs) i Um, just remember i remember watching that around at my mate martin's house and i just remember thinking I just want this tournament to end. Yeah. Please let it end. This is so terrible. And uh, yeah, the funny thing is, to, it's funny to think as well that Robson kept his job after that. Because nowadays, <laughs> if I'm yeah, mind yeah. you, that said, 
actually, did Hodgson resign after 2014, or did he carry on going? I can't actually remember now. Well, we completely for a few lost. Days. Yeah, I mean, well, he's losing three games in an emphatic fashion as well. Uh, but the actual one I've gone for, because I wanted to mention that one, but the actual thing I've gone for, which was a personal disappointment for me, uh, was Coventry losing in the semi-final of the Simod Cup, which which was the full members cup, which was something they put about because obviously um, teams could not be in Europe from, well, English teams couldn't play in Europe. Um, so they devised this full members cup, which was in effect kind of like a league cup again. Um, and mm. Cov got to the semi-final. It was sponsored by Simod that year. Actually, I think the Simod Cup was pretty crappy as well, the trophy mm. for that. Um, <laughs> and Cov got to the semi-final but it was played, we played Reading and lost on penalties, which I was gutted about because it's like so close. But one thing I've noticed, and uh, is that it was played at Elm Park, so it was played at Reading's <laughs> game. It's a semi-final, and Luton, who won the other semi-final, played at Kenilworth Road. It's like, hang on, that's not fair. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's just a home tie, you know. So, but yeah, so we came so close uh, to winning it and then didn't. And then I think Reading, yeah, Reading won it as well, and I was gutted about it. I think they beat Luton 4-1. So mm. I was kind of gutted about that because I was just annoyed that Reading were even there. So I, I, that's my biggest disappointment. I mean, <laughs> again, you know, the, the Simod Cup was so... Nobody gave a toss about it. But yeah. at the time, it was like, well, you know, it was a chance to go to Wembley again. And it was obviously just coming after the, you know, the, the FA Cup. It was like, well, this, at least it's another cup. And I think at the time, because we couldn't play in Europe, it was like, well, you know, this is actually something worthwhile. <laughs> but I just remember the, the craziness at the time of having three cup competitions in the domestic season. Yeah. And I think after a while they were like, you know, this is getting ridiculous. No <laughs> one else has, th- has even, most people don't even have two cup competitions, let alone three. <laughs> I do remember at the time sort of being a bit meh about the whole <clears throat> thing. It was just like, <laughs> yeah. really? I, okay. Um, I just had to check to see who Simod were. Apparently they're Italian sports, sports manufacturer. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Made sort of shoes and running shoes and football boots and that kind of thing. Who knew? And at one point, uh, for an eight-year period, sponsored the Minardi Formula One team. There you go. There's an extra fact thrown in. It's not as good as one of your <laughs> facts, obviously, Rich, but you know I'm doing what I can with the materials provided. Whatever <laughs> um, Wikipedia can throw up, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. Um, so yes, that's just sim old cup. I mean, I yeah. I mean, strictly speaking, my my choice would be the Euro '88 collapse. It was it was so painful. I just sort of thought, how can you get to a tournament having done so well in the qualifiers? And I think we only like conceded one goal in the qualifiers or something, and then like get there and like playing like a bloody non-league team. It's just like, absolutely torn to pieces. Um, but I mean, just on a on another level, I think just Liverpool not getting the chance to play in the European Cup when you've got such an amazing team would have been wonderful to see. I think they would have ended up playing someone like. AC Milan probably in the final because they had a really tremendous team like with Baresi and people like that at the time. So they, I reckon they'd have probably ended up playing someone like Milan the following season. But um, yeah, such a shame that they didn't get through to the uh, European Cup in 88-89 as it would have been. So there you are. Um, we now come on to possibly the most entertaining of the categories, which you would call potluck, which is basically anything... Any random memories, it can be sort of uh, memorabilia, it can be something that doesn't kind of fit into the other categories, essentially. Um, stuff that we remember. So um, let's go through that. We've had some feedback on that as well. But what did you go for on this, Rich? Well, um, I, I, I just wanted to, to like an honourable mention before I come to my main one, which was I've just written down Mirandina, 
which yeah. I remember being a massive fanfare when he joined Newcastle. Um, I think he joined basically bef- just at the start of the 87-88 season, so mm. he just qualifies because I think he joined over the summer. And I just remember there being this massive sort of, oh, it's the first Brazilian to play for, <laughs> I think it was the first Brazilian to play in England, not just like mm. for Newcastle. So, so this is massive fanfare, and he wasn't that great. I just remember being <laughs> a thinking, "Who the hell's Mirandini? I've never heard of him." And it kind of felt, it kind of felt like the David Speedy transfer. It was like kind of, yeah, we, oh, it's the first Brazilian, and like with Kov, it was like oh, we've got all this money. It's like, this is what we've gone for. It's like kind of, oh, okay, so we've gone for like second or third, you know, choice. Then it's like, so I just, I, and I just remember being this massive fanfare, and then him being not that brilliant and, and Brazilian. Sorry. Um, <laughs> And I don't think he was terrible. He just didn't really do a huge amount. I think the idea was, I think everyone thought, oh, he's going to come in. And I mean, I don't think he settled particularly well in the Northeast. I mean, no. you know, from Brazil to the Northeast, that's, that's one, that's not so much a culture shock as a, you know, kind of as going to a different planet or something. Yeah. So I, I don't think it, uh, but he stayed there for two seasons um, and mm. then went back to Brazil, you know, but I just remember him, all this fanfare and just not being that, you know, just being massively underwhelmed. But yeah. what I've actually gone for is, and I've mentioned this before, is still what I believe to be the largest gap between uh, two legs of a final ever, because the second leg's still never been played. <laughs> it was the Anglo-Scottish Cup between Coventry and St Mirren, um, which there was a 1-1 draw at Highfield Road in, I think, December or something, or January, something like that. Um, and there was only about 11,000 people turned up and they just didn't bother playing the second game because <laughs> they were just like, no one cares about this. Um, yeah. So, it's just, and again, another cup competition, well, albeit to be fair, only won a final, you know, but of, of the two previous, the English and the Scottish cup winners, but it's just, it just cracked me up. It's like the, the fact that they'd never played the second leg was like, no, nobody cares. The fans don't care. The teams don't care. What are we doing? You know, let's just forget it. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, so if you think, so, all right, Football League Championship, FA Cup, League Cup, Simod Cup. So this would have been a fifth competition for Coventry to get their teeth into. Like, yeah. they must have been thinking, like, there's just so little going on this season. Like, we'll just put our name down for everything. You know, Eurovision Song Contest, we'll have a go at that. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, um, Mirandinia, just going back to Mirandinia. I was thinking earlier on, um, I thought, who did he sign from? Because anyway, once it was he comes from Brazil. Can you remember for for two bonus points? Can you remember? Who I signed? can remember. He came from Palmeiras. Correct. No, he didn't. Sorry, that's I actually did, he and did. he went back he to did. Palmeiras. Yes, and we're none the wiser for that. But the thing is, at the time, I remember think, being quite scathing and thinking like, "Well, he's clearly not very good, is he?" And but that was years before I got, developed a, a, an appreciation of basically what you said, Richard. The whole thing of players coming across from like half a world away. Um, and playing in a completely new country, new, new, uh, continent and everything, new language barrier to overcome. And yeah, I mean, now I just sort of think when players do that, you just think, what chance that they're actually going to sort of settle in and be a success. And the poor fella must have been, it must have been a terrible culture shock for him. But, um, yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think he was a failure. He just wasn't like, I mean, we were used to, and you know, on one level, we were used to sort of names like Zico and Josimar and people like that. And when they went Mirandinia, everyone went, who? It's like, and, yeah. and so that right from the word go, he's going to be off to a bad start because people just don't even know who he is. But, um, yeah, he stuck around for a couple of years. And here's a thing. I think I'm right in saying this. Might have to check this 
Oh, hang on. I tell you what, I will check this. Cause it's well, really... I, I'm, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for him right now. So. Ah, well, I was just going to say, I was going to offer a quiz question. I, I did a quick sort of looking up of his details earlier on. Um, I was going to say, how old is he now? 58. Mirandini is now 58. Doesn't that make you feel old? Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> 58. <laughs> My Come body on. falling apart makes me feel old. <laughs> yeah. um, well, the funny thing was, what I was going to say was, I mean... You know, we kind of mentioned about the fact that um, he wasn't exactly uh, a big star in Brazil. And to be fair, that's kind of true because he only actually got four caps for Brazil. So it's not yeah. like he was a, you know, Brazilian age international or anything. He was just Brazilian. Mm-hmm. Um, and ironically, his only international goal came against England. England. I was just going to say, I, seem to, I wasn't sure if it was my memory playing tricks, <clears throat> but I seem to remember that he did play for uh, Brazil against England. And no doubt because, oh, that's convenient. You know, he's, he's actually already over here in this country, so we might as well use him. Well, that was the thing, because that was in 87. So it's mm. probably someone watched him at that and thought, oh, he's good. He <laughs> plays for Brazil. We'll have him. <laughs> Pet. Pet. <laughs> uh, so um, yes, Mirandini was the the player on many people's lips. I think that season. Um, but elsewhere, um, what have we got? Well, it was in fact it was the season of um, the football league centenary. That was the big deal. We've mentioned this, I think, on one or two other football attic podcasts. And there was this thing that happened at the start of the season. I think I'm right in saying, which was your yep. your football league against rest of the world eleven. And then in about, was it April, I think, they, the, the Football League sort of cleared a two-week gap in the middle of the schedules and had this kind of mini-tournament um, for, I can't remember how many teams, was it about 16 teams or something like that, like sort of basically be a just a silly thing. And it was all played at Wembley, and I think... Yep. I've got to go and look for my details now. Um, Forest won it, didn't they? Forest won it, that's right. Um, against, yeah. I think it was Sheffield Wednesday. Um, all yeah. to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Football League. So uh, Another tournament. <coughs> yes, season. another tournament. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, and in fact, that uh, particular uh, thing, celebrations of the, of the Football League centenary, was picked out by uh, a previous correspondent of ours, Daniel, who's at Luzhniki2008 on Twitter. Hello, Daniel. Uh, he picked that out for, for particularly... Uh, special mention going back to that friendly match between the football league 11 and the rest of the world 11 it was um it was a bit of an odd one that i vaguely remember it happening at the time and i think you've got a bit better memory of this than i have rich but i I did check who was in both sides on the day because uh, i remember the 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 rest of the world 11 being sort of studded with stars it was it there was, were yeah. some there were some but it, i wouldn't say it was kind of across the board Big name stars. I mean, in the starting eleven for the uh, World Eleven team was a guy called Celso. Do you remember him or who he came yeah, from? Yeah, he was the guy. Came? He was the guy that wrote Aztec Gold. Aztec, well, that's right. <laughs> well done. <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't uh, really did that joke in my own head earlier on today. So well done for chiming on that. Even yeah, now, I'm not sure which country he represented or which team he played for. C E L S O Celso. No Go idea. Think. Never heard of him, but there were some big stars because they had Platini, mm-hmm. Maradona, and um, was Blocking playing? Oleg Blocking, uh, I think Rats was playing in goal as well, wasn't he? Oh, no, in fact, I don't think Blocking was playing. I beg your pardon. Sorry, I thought he was, but I don't think he was. I'm just looking oh, up was on, he not? on the lineups. No, uh, Dasayev. Dasayev no, was. actually, yeah, there you go. Um, oh, was it, sorry, was it Joel Bats or was it uh, who was in goal? 
Um, I know. I know. Augie was a sub for the <coughs> world for the football league eleven, and Cyril Regis played as well. Yeah. That's right. They had they had uh, Zubi <coughs> Zaretta on the bench. They had. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that would have been him then, I suppose, and Dasaev, I suppose, was your main main man. I just think it's laughable that you know you're going to sort of celebrate the hundredth anniversary of your, of your league. Who can we invite over to play? I know the most reviled man for every yeah. English football fan. Well, and I've, I've covered this. I've covered this before. He demanded a hundred thousand pounds to play. Um, everyone else was, I think, I believe, playing for free, um, mm. or possibly you know a, a minor fee. But he demanded a hundred grand to pay. <laughs> Uh, to play, and the league were like, well, we're not paying you, because we're not paying everyone else this. And he went, well, I'm not playing then. <laughs> and in the end, they paid him. And I just remember, and I, I, the thing is, I, I've got no evidence of that anywhere. I don't think anywhere else is recorded, other than where I've written it down on the internet. Um, and it's one of those things, a bit like battle bags, that I, I have no independent verification for this. But I swear blind that that happened. And I don't, I mean, it was probably in match or shoot at the time, but, you know, it would have been in the ones before the tournament because it was when he was arguing about it. And But I can't, again, that, it's a match that seems to have disappeared off the face of the earth until the last couple of years. Because I remember trying to find, probably about 10 years ago, any information on it whatsoever and could not find anything. And I knew, obviously I knew it happened because I remember it happening and I, I, I remember the, the kits. Because I'm talking to John Devlin, I was trying to find some info for the kits and then one day he actually sort of did the graphic for both of them um <clears throat> and actually found a picture of the two teams lining up hmm. but nowadays you can find a bit more information on it but at the time it's just seemed to have disappeared into the annals of history <laughs> indeed um and and to that end i put to you another question and don't look this up on wikipedia see if you can get this okay. without looking okay. no cheating um Not looking um how many liverpool players in the uh football league 11 team or indeed squad um, if you will 67. Um, <laughs> um, I would say, I don't know, actually, thinking about it, I don't think there were that many. Um, there, weren't actually, right. there weren't actually any. Oh, <laughs> in light of yeah. all this glowing tribute for Liverpool that we said, you think, well, there's going to be a few Liverpool players in this team representing the Football League. No but Liverpool I, players. I get the feeling that that probably they weren't released to play in mm. it, because obviously I think Mr. Douglas probably would want to keep a tight rein on it. I'd be surprised if they weren't invited um, but uh, yeah, um, I, I I have a feeling they might not have been allowed by their manager because yeah. obviously it would have been just. Be- well, it was actually it was the week before the um, the season started because it yeah. was the week after the cha- the charity shield and the week before the season started. So I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool just went no, you're not having any of our players. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I say no Liverpool players. Peter Beasley was playing, but he joined Liverpool just before the season started. So I'm not quite sure. He may have technically been a Liverpool player at that point, but yeah, he probably we, was. Yeah, but no one would have seen him playing in a Liverpool shirt. I don't think by that point. Let's put it that way. Um, but um, no, you got your other sort of a lot, lot of Man United representation there. Uh, people like Brian Robson, uh, people like that, and Forest players, a couple of Tottenham players, I think <clears> as well. But um, yeah, um, and I suppose Peter, Peter Shilton in goal. Yeah, what a surprise. I suppose the other weird thing as well is that Lineker played, but of course he was playing for the World Eleven. World Eleven at that point, he was in Barcelona. Yeah. So that's the thing. Every time think someone thinks that Lineker played, it's like, oh well, he must have been on the the league. Nope, he was uh, he was in Barcelona at the time. Yeah, that's right. So, um, but that was a curious one. That the whole kind of football league thing. I just a lot of that seemed to have passed me by at the time. <clears> but. Um, Anyway, hey ho, and all that. Um, what else have we got in our potluck category? Um, I, 
for my choice, see, I think it's in doing a bit of research, actually, I stumbled on something which would have been an ideal choice for you, which was that in 1987, a book called The Football Grounds of Great Britain was published, one that I know that you are more than well aware of, uh, written by Simon Inglis, and that was that was 1987, so... Uh, yeah, the en- the only thing is I didn't actually buy that until about the year 2003. So. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's where because, it all started, see? Well, yeah. Well, the first one I had of his was the uh, Football Grounds of Europe one, which I actually bought. I mean, that was came out in 1989, but I didn't buy it till 1994 because uh, mm. that was the first time I'd ever seen it. Um, and the Football Grounds of Great Britain one, I did buy the Football Grounds of Great Britain in 1996, but that was the revamped version that he did, the completely rewritten version. And I didn't actually buy any of the previous versions until years later on uh, eBay. So it might have actually been 2004, five, something like that. So, <laughs> yeah, so it was nearly 20 years before I actually got a hold of a copy. So, yes. Mm. But, yeah, cracking book, though. Actually, when was... Was that the Football Grounds of Great Britain or was that the Football Grounds of England and Wales, which was the first book? Great Britain, I think. I'm pretty sure that's uh, what I saw earlier on. Yes. Yes. Um, well, so continuing the memorabilia line of inquiry, um, I've decided to choose the Panini Football 87 collection from that year because that was basically the last one I, I collected as a, if you like, as a kid, although technically, as I say, I was sort of starting work by that point. But um, that was the last one. I started with Football 80 and went every year up to 87. It was the last one I collected until I was a proper, fully-fledged adult. And then I sort of picked up the reins again in with Euro 2000, I think, Panini Euro 2000. Um, but, uh, yeah, Football 87, green packets. Uh, I think the stickers had like a yellow and a red or yellow and orange border around the outside and uh, very distinctive. You could tell, you look in the album of Football 87, you could see that it, the design was starting to really start to sharpen up now. It didn't look quite as old-fashioned and fuddy-duddy as, uh, as it used to. So that's where I got off off the off the, yeah thing off the bandwagon with that um someone who knows about stickers our old friend greg lansdowne hello greg uh, he said on facebook um i remember spending much of 87 88 bunking off school to play emlyn hughes team tactics with friends um i remember that from at the time greg uh, I, I didn't own it i think one of my mates might have owned it um, i had to do a bit of research on this i think the game went something like you had to go through a season basically collecting cards which were actual players that were playing in like the football league at the time and you somehow sort of would win cards and so therefore you had to build a team and end up with 11 players and they could be you know it could be i don't know norman whiteside you might have peter shilton in goal so it was like a kind of composite team i'm not sure much more of the detail other than that um, but um, i think that was the sort of general gist really emlyn hughes team tactics was quite um in quite a lot of places at the time, in Argos catalogues and all sorts. I was going to say, I remember it. It looks, having just clicked on your link uh, that you put in the thing, Chris, <laughs> it looks really complicated and really <laughs> boring. <laughs> and those are the best type of football board games, the ones with yeah. a really complicated board and yeah. lots of dices and cards and yeah. stuff. And, and actually no real connection <laughs> to football whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> no, indeed. Um, the, the more spurious a sort of set of rules, the better, really. Um, so uh, there we are um, and I mean that's kind of pretty much it um, basically just want to say thank you very much indeed to everybody for all your comments and feedback we very very much appreciate it it was quite um, a, a, a an interesting sort of season really lots of different things going on 
Um, I mean, stuff that we haven't mentioned from the season, things like the fact that Robert Maxwell nearly bought Watford, um, and it was only because of the fact that he already owned Derby and who was it? Somebody else? I think he was about to buy his third team. Reading, didn't he? Reading, Did he own Reading? It? something like that. Um, Oxford? No, I can't remember. Oh, he owned Oxford, didn't he? Uh, Was that yes. Maxwell? Yes. I think it was. And oh, well, didn't he? When he tried to merge um, Oxford yeah. and Reading, I think, to, to the <clears throat> Thames Valley Royals or something. <laughs> oh, yes. One of my favourite sort of little anecdotes, that is. <laughs> um, but the thing was, Elton John was about to sell his shares in Watford, and I think that's when um, the pound signs lit up in Robert Maxwell's eyes, and he thought, ooh, I'll buy them as well. And then suddenly the Football League went, hang on, he's already got two shares in two clubs. We can't have him taking over every club going. So um, I think they hastily sort of uh, stepped in and said, sorry, pal, can't do that. So, um, yes, he was denied that uh, a few days later, I think, that chance. Um, He'd still probably passed the fit and proper person <coughs> test. Though. Oh, absolutely, yeah. He had all the right you know. credentials. Indeed. Yeah. Had his own yacht and everything. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Mark Lawrenson retired, uh, forced to retire through injury in January '88, which is very sad. Had an Achilles injury, uh, but his loss, of course, was the BBC's gain, as we all know. Um, yeah, and the rest, of, and the rest of the world's loss, <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Um, and oh, just sort of looking through sort of notes here and stuff like that. Um, uh, Portsmouth were back in the first division for the first time in a long while, but they got relegated at the end of the season, so they went back down again from whence they came. Um, but Millwall came up the following season and it was their first uh, season in the top flight, 88-89. And then there was all the kind of promotion relegation hoo-ha. Basically, at the end of the season, you had um, Chelsea, Portsmouth, Watford and Oxford going down. Replacing them uh, coming up was Millwall, Aston Villa and Middlesbrough. Um, Coming up from Division 3, Sunderland. Sunderland were in Division 3 back then and... uh, they uh, won the championship there, along with uh, Brighton and Walsall. They they got promoted to Division 2 as well. And as we mentioned earlier on with Steve Ball, Wolves uh, got promoted to Division 3, along with Cardiff, Bolton and Swansea. And Newport County dropped out of the league. Um, their, their time was up. And Celtic were champions of um, Scotland, with Hearts as the runners-up on 62 points, 10 points behind, Rangers on 60 um, Terry Venables was sacked by Barcelona. That was another thing that happened then, and he ended up going to Tottenham in the end. Um, all kinds of stuff going on, and having got onto the transfers, I mean, Glenn Hoddle went to Monaco from Tottenham, and uh, lots of English players went to Rangers. I forgot to mention that earlier on the fact that Rangers got quite a lot of exposure that season because of the fact that basically Soonis was hoovering up all these English players like Trevor Francis and Mark Waters and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, a really interesting season. Um, hope you enjoyed our little trip down memory lane. Um, any last words, Rich, before we uh, close the door on that little episode? No, I was just going to say if anyone wanted to suggest any more topics that we could cover on future ones of these or indeed any other years they'd like to see us do, bearing in mind I only started following football in 86, so (laughs) anything before that's going to be very hazy. Uh, But yeah, feel free to drop us a line. Um, Yeah. And other than that, no, no, it's just, it was nice to go back to 87. It was nice to not do 86 or 87, to be honest, because that would have been a bit too predictable for me. So, yeah, well, it's nice one, the sort of interesting season, like you say, but um, one that's probably not sort of, uh, to, 
you know in too many people's memories immediately so it's fun <clears throat> yeah you saw through my logic of which season to choose um yes. uh, without wishing to sort of <laughs> seem like i'm deliberately steering it away from your areas of interest but let's face it we've heard enough about uh, mexico 86 and um what <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, um, a, a season, I think it's fair to say, where English football was um, in transition, a bit of instability going on. We weren't quite reaching World Cup 90 yet, but you could see that um, you know one or two high-profile transfers, people going for, you know, being sold to other teams for ooh, you know, nearly a million pounds in certain cases. Uh, those were the days. But um, anyway, <laughs> interesting memories. And as Rich says, uh, do nominate a season if you want us to talk about another different season next time around but i think that is our time up thank you very much indeed for listening rich thank you for your company as ever and uh, we'll be back again i'm sure very soon with another football attic podcast but until then from myself and from rich johnson it's goodbye to you all goodbye and it's goodbye from him <laughs>